Trigger Warnings in the Episode Description. Zöring and Zimmer. Hi there, this is Jens Zöring, and I'm sitting here with my friend Dominic Zimmer, who is a musician, a singer, and a psychology student here in Germany. And in Germany, he's a bit of a star because he took part in uh, something like uh, America's Got Talent. It's called Deutschland sucht den Superstar. <laughs> Germany is looking for the superstar. And he didn't win, but he got pretty far. And uh, it's my honor <laughs> to do a podcast with Dominic Zimm. Thank you. Yes, and uh, next to me sits Jens Söring who um, used to play in a band as well when he was 18, 19 years old, um, who was studying psychology as well. But then he was sentenced for a murder. I think we have some similarities in our lives and some very big differences. And uh, this podcast is um, meant to be about these differences, about uh, your life, what you've experienced in 33 years of prison. And your life, what you've <laughs> experienced uh, um, building a career in the public eye um, at roughly the same age that I was when I went into prison. Yes. And you're like the version of me that didn't destroy his own life. Not yet. <laughs> And <laughs> point well taken, Dominic. We'll give you time. Um, I promise to visit you when you're in the clink. Um, <laughs> No. Um, yeah, you're like the version of me that didn't destroy his life. And there are interesting parallels and interesting differences. And both of us are starting new lives. I'm starting a new life here in Germany after decades in American prison. And uh, you're at the beginning of your life, starting your career. You're, uh, I think you just finished your bachelor's degree in psychology. Yeah, I'm going to. I, I just ha have to um, finish the very last... Um, task and then it's uh, done. I think it's a dissertation or something like yeah. that that you have to finish. Um, it's a little different here in, in Germany, but um, yeah. And then of course you're going on to study your masters, to do your yes. masters. And uh, parallel to that, you're an active musician. Yes, you I am. play regularly here in uh, the northern uh, German city of Kiel and also in Hamburg, I believe. Yes. And through your appearance on the German counterpart of uh, America's Got Talent, Deutschland sucht den Superstar, <laughs> which of course sounds really funny to English ears. <laughs> yeah, Deutschland probably. sucht den Superstar. <laughs> um, but it is, it is a very popular program on German TV. Yes. And um, so you get recognized on the street. And, and of course, uh, you're not just a solo artist. You're also with a band called Baltique because yes. we live in the... Uh, the um, Baltic Sea, yeah, that's which is interesting. Um, right now, f especially for Americans, I think uh, that's uh, the sea that Russia borders with Saint Petersburg. Oh yeah, and that's a big subject in in the news right now. But your band is named after the Baltic yeah. uh, Sea, the Baltic, and uh, I believe you play a pretty heavy. Uh, Rock, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it depends. Sometimes it may be more, sometimes it may be less heavy. Um, but it's always with drums and with uh, electric guitars. And um, so it, it, it's it's more of a rock 
band than like a pop band or whatever. Um, but we we try to uh, put as many um, different influences into our songs as we can. You're coming directly out of the music industry and really haven't done much beyond that. And now you're doing a podcast with, um, as they say, a convicted double murderer. Yes. Which um, is... I did not commit that crime, but my conviction was not overturned and I have to live with that stigma um, of being called a convicted double murderer here as I make a new start in Germany after decades in American prisons. And um, together, we've decided to embark on this journey with this podcast. In this first episode, we're talking about how people deal with change. Yes. And do you accept challenges? Do you seek them out? Are you open to them? Or when things get tough, do you close down and uh, withdraw into yourself and hold on to the old certainties instead of facing the new challenges. And uh... Yes, and, and to, to be honest, I don't think I had that crucial points in my life where um, I had to make a very hard decision or where things changed in a very short way, uh, in a very short time, very heavily. But I think um, that you have experienced stuff like that because you've been in prison for 33 years and you um, got there at the age of 19. Yes. And um, I mean, it, it, it's just so different because I, I've, I've, I've lived this life just with every, um, with, with every thing that I did was, was a free, free will or, or a free, um, free choice. choice. Yeah. But, but you didn't have a choice. And, and at some point, um, somebody opened the door and you just went into a prison and from there on you were there for the next 33 years and you probably didn't even know whether you were going to come out alive or not um, or That's if exactly you're going right. to stay there for the end of your life, which could have been only a few years. Yes. Um, I had a little bit of practice with new beginnings because my father was a German diplomat and I was born in Thailand and then we moved to Cyprus an island in the Mediterranean, mm. and then we moved to Germany, and then we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. These are oh. very different countries, if you think about it. You know, East Asian, Mediterranean, Central European, and then, of course, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but then at, at 19, um, I was on the run. Um, actually, interesting. Um, legally, I was not on the run, and this was came out at my trial. <laughs> they, uh, the police had no evidence against uh, my then girlfriend, Elizabeth Hayson, and me. They had so little, they had nothing, so they couldn't even uh, put out a search warrant. Nobody was looking for us. We thought we were on the run, but we weren't, <laughs> not really. And um, back then, this was in 1985 when we were, 1985 when we were on the run and into 1986, there was no internet. And um, as a result of that, we had no way of finding out anything so we what wasn't there anything in the news or uh, didn't you expect how do you get the news when you're in thailand about what's happening in virginia you know it's it's we were on the run yeah. i should explain that we were on the run also in thailand and there was just yes you could get the international herald tribune but they didn't report on events in virginia anyway we got arrested and i got arrested as christopher platino we, we, we had fake identifications because we thought Everybody was after us. And uh, I was registered for a check fraud on April the 30th. And then on May the 1st, uh, I think it was, 
I was transferred from the police station. I, I, it was, I was transferred from the police station uh, on May the 1st um, to my first prison. That was the, uh, uh, what in America they'd call a jail, uh, yeah. pre-trial detention. And it was called Ashford Youth Remand Center. It was south of London. It was for youthful offenders. And it was built in the 19th century. So it was really old. And uh, there was like a van load of us, teenagers. I was 19. We were all kids, basically. And we arrived at this place. It was dark. It was cold. They put us in a waiting room where the windows had been broken out. It was cold and drafty. And there was wind coming in. And there was green paint on the walls and it was peeling down like in a, in a curve. And on one wall, there was a bit of a graffiti and it said, Bronco likes little white boys. <laughs> and uh, later on, we found out that Bronco was actually one of the guards. In England, they called him Screws. He was one of the screws. And indeed, Bronco liked little white boys. Okay. But we didn't know this, who Bronco was. And we were just a bunch of teenagers sitting there in like the half dark in this waiting room. And we were all pretty much all just scared. And I remember specifically at that moment, I had a thought in my head, which I did not understand at the time. And the thought was, they're gonna take everything from you. They're gonna take absolutely everything from you, but they can't take your humanity. And I had no idea what that meant at the time. And is it true? Um, they sure as heck tried. Um, when you come into prison, they put you in a uniform. They give you sort of a uniform haircut, short hair, and they give you a number instead of your name. So they definitely try to take your humanity um, and individuality. But when you're 19, and I was 19 at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. What does one understand at 19 about humanity? You know, what does... And I spent... 33 years basically filling that sentence with meaning, learning what it was really all about, what humanity is, and what my humanity is in that context, fighting for um, the truth and for freedom. And of course, I thought I could only get freedom by establishing the truth. And the great irony is that they released me, they gave me my freedom, without giving me my truth. They denied me a pardon. And so my conviction was not overturned. And um, they gave me half the cake and I took it. <laughs> Sometimes I think I should have stayed. And I, 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 there was a moment when they told me I would not be getting a pardon, I would only be getting my freedom. I remember specifically thinking, and I I'd actually phoned somebody and asked them about this. Should I, deny, should I refuse to leave prison on parole and make them give me a pardon? And um, I was talked out of it. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, that's 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 the fight that I had for thirty three years, and it was half successful. But that's that's how I lived my life, and that's the meaning I gave to that phrase. Um, that was the big new start, and then I came out into this new world out here, um, Germany, which, is, um, which was so bizarre. Uh, everything has changed in the last thirty five years. Uh, I know we're recording this here in your apartment yes. in northern Germany, in Kiel, and you've got a um, laptop yeah. on which we're recording this. When I was your age at college, a little bit younger, uh, nobody had a computer. 
I don't know anybody who had a computer. We all had typewriters. And I was like really advanced because my typewriter had a little tiny window where you could see the, the last 12 letters that you typed and you could correct them before it was actually printed out. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, that's, that sounds very complicated. Yes, yes, it was. But you only had those 12 little letters with a tiny little window on the typewriter. Nobody had a computer. There was no internet. The first website went up on the, on the, on the World Wide Web um, five years after my arrest. Tim Berners-Lee, CERN, Switzerland, in 1991. And I was arrested in 1986. So um, I came into this world. Back then, there were two Germanys, West yeah. Germany and East Germany. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. Interesting little tidbit. Um, I was in prison longer than the Berlin Wall stood. Wow. The Berlin Wall stood for 28 years, and I was in prison for 33 years. So you... <laughs> I mean, just... just Sometimes I feel like um, it's just like a number. So when you hear 33 years, you, you can't really imagine it. So sometimes when, when I try to uh, get it into relation, I think about myself. If somebody told me that now I'm 24 years old and if I was going to stay in prison for the next 33 years, I'd be 57, which is... The same age I am now, yes. which is obviously <laughs> senile and you know drooling at the corner of the mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, but 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 also if, if you look back in, in history, yes. like 33 years, this is from let's say 1917, so start of World War One, right? Of uh, 14, 1914, 1914, yeah. 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 So uh, until 1947, which would be which, two which is, years yeah. after the end of World War Two, uh, yeah. This is crazy. Like, what what, yes. what can happen in such a timeline? Yes, and yes. the entire um, Weimar Republic, you know, and that's existed only in that time frame, and all of World War II, and all of World War One. And also, if if you think about it, thirty three years from now, I mean, back in when when you were um, when when you were nineteen, you you couldn't even imagine what's possible today, and what would we have in kind of technology and uh, in the world, what's happening? Like we had. Cold War, then it, yes. it, it, it kind of stopped. And uh, now we have once more war in Europe and everything. Yes. It's interesting for me because, um, I, you know, I, I was absent for a few decades there. But um, um, there is a mindset, especially here in Germany right now, that sees climate change as a very, very threatening end of the world scenario. And... Perhaps it is. But I remember distinctly growing up as a teenager in the early and mid-1980s. And back then, we also had a kind of end-of-the-world scenario that was terrifying everybody. And that was thermonuclear war. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that the emotions, to me, looking at it from the outside, right, um, are very similar. You know, the, the, are they? The, the sense of doom, right, that people had back then. When I was growing up, a lot of people had a sense of doom, especially teenagers. We all felt we're never going to grow up because, you know, next week or next year or in 10 years, somebody's going to push the button and there's going to be a thermonuclear war and all life on Earth will be erased. And the only thing that will survive is the cockroaches. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were taught. That's what we learned. That's what we heard. That's what we all kind of thought. And friends of mine in Atlanta had 
you know, atomic bunkers in their backyard where they, you know, would could live for another couple of weeks <laughs> before they had to open the hatch and then all die. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of similar to the mood that you sometimes encounter today about climate change, and they're interesting parallels for me. Yeah, that. but 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 I think some. Uh, well, I didn't grow up in the Cold War, but um, imagining that like, like it could be over tomorrow. Yes. Like if if some guy in Russia presses the button. Yes. Then it's over. Yes. And, and like. Um, Everything is done, but the climate change—it's kind of it's, different it's because gradual. it's gradual, and yes. it's something that that we could stop right now if we behaved in the right way, or if um, I mean, it's such a big, um, such a big thing. There's the and, hope. And, and there's, there's, the there's hope. yeah, yes. and there's like no really easy solution for it. Right. But it's it's different because um, I mean, there are there there were points in history. I think there was like one Russian um, general who was told to press the button because uh, the systems, um, yes, they mis mis mistaken or that they mistook um, the reflection from the clouds as um, incoming missiles starting. Right. Yeah. And he was like, like the system told him, okay, USA is attacking now. You got to press the button because we are going to um, right. We are going yeah. to make an answer. And uh, he didn't do it, which was like very yeah. Close. There was there was a similar incident. I remember reading about that. These are the things that came out decades later. That there was a Russian submarine commander who was actually being depth charged by American uh, 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 ships, and he did not fire the nuclear weapons, even though that was his instructions. If you're depth depth charged, go ahead and fire your rockets. Yeah. And he didn't do it. So there are apparently at least two Russians who act who basically saved the world, yeah, you know, thanks. <laughs> and um, which is a strange thing to think about because right now, of course, the Russian military is doing pretty awful things yes, in the Ukraine. Um, but that's the organization, and within that organization, during the Cold War, at least, there were individual Russians who did noble things. You know, and that's interesting to think about as well. Um, but um, mm -hmm. here we're talking about um, the differences between when I was your age yes. and the present. Um, and we talked a little bit about my new starts, my, my new beginnings of coming into prison when I was 19. Um, with you, uh, you're at the very beginning of your life just finishing your first degree, starting on your second degree, and simultaneously and in parallel, you're building a music career, which um, I think must be really difficult. Um, I think a lot of people dream about, you know, going on America's Got Talent. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you want the counterpart to that, um, or, or something similar here in Germany. Um, what did that feel like? How old were you? I know you were in, a, in another program first, Before yes. Deutschland sucht den Superstar, you were in another program called Battle of the Bands. And how old were you when that started? So when Battle of the Bands, the, the first show that I took part in, I think it was, yeah, it was in 2020. So I was 21 years old. So, um, but yeah, I was 21. And um, they actually contacted me. So I didn't um, ride... Uh, Write to them and said I want to take part in this show. I, I I've never heard of it. Um, they just wrote me on Instagram and how did they hear about you? Well, um, I um, 
used to um, post uh, videos of myself singing on Instagram because I wanted to promote um, a small, tiny um, album that I wrote in uh, the very beginning of 2020 because, uh, yeah, Corona um, started to um, shut down everything and um, I couldn't do music um, the way I did it with a band together in a room. So I um, started doing an album on my own and I tried to promote it by um, uploading covers um, to draw attention and I drew attention but uh, from this show and they actually wrote me on a Friday. I read it on a Saturday. I had a headache because I was uh, out the night before and so they I, I, I um, saw it on Saturday. I think on Sunday we had some meetings and then on Tuesday they flew me in. So it was very spontaneously um, that they uh, decided to take me into the show. And um, yeah, it, it was just it was just weird because the whole world was uh, like on pause yes. when Corona started. And in, in America, they call it COVID, by the way. Um, oh, okay. Just, just, COVID, yeah. yeah. Corona is also, I think they... they, they commonly used COVID to describe the pandemic. pandemic. So COVID uh, was shutting down everything and I was suddenly living um, a very different life because I was flown into into a hotel where I had to be in uh, quarantine for five days, I think. I wasn't allowed to go outside. I wasn't allowed to... um, invite anybody so i was just in a room for five days and i I, what what was it's kind of like a little prison then yeah it was (laughs) with the exception that i was um i I got a card like like an um like an american express or whatever and i could order whatever i wanted so um i i remember one day um ordering uh um something with uh shrimps which I would never do because it's too expensive for a usual 20 years old in a hotel to order like a shrimp salad. And on top I ordered um, like, like very, very something, something very special, um, which was together like 60 or 70 bucks, but they, 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 they told me you can order everything you want. And um, that was like the first experience. Um, after everything was shut down, I was flown into a very beautiful hotel with two stories. Um, yes, exactly. Yes, two stories. Yeah, and 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 like a big staircase in the middle, which mm-hmm. connects both, and it was all just for me. But I wasn't uh, able to tell anybody because they also took my mobile phone. They took my um, God. It really purse. was like prison. <laughs> yeah, they, because I wasn't. Um, I I should not communicate with the um, with my friends and family because it was um, supposed to be secret until it's broadcasted. So um, they took away my phone. They took away my passport. My everything. They and I and all I got from them was this uh, was this message on Instagram and the um, video calls we had. But at some point, I I was I was thinking maybe I did a mistake because I gave them everything I have. I gave them any way I can communicate and my passport and everything. And now I'm locked in a room for five days and I can't invite anybody, which is a very weird situation. That is exactly like prison. It is very strange. Yeah. Um, I did not know that they did this to you, Dominic. It's yeah. kind of scary well, sounding. Well, I think they did so because of COVID and because um, they, if, if, if one of the candidates um, had COVID, then the whole show would be shut down. Right, right, right. So let me ask you, I mean, you were not allowed to even phone your family? No. So, so who they, did you talk to for five days? 
they actually had um, one person who would be allowed to visit me. I mean, I think he wasn't allowed to, but he did so anyways. Um, it was called uh, Alex. And Alex visited uh, the, um, the participants uh, every day, like for just uh, usual, like check if everything is okay. But then he started to, um, to, to talk to us longer or to me like for one or two hours, then he would sit down in my apartment and we talked about it. And because he had a very, uh, very um, crazy story as well, he, he used to be homeless for some time and uh, then he came back up and now he's working in the TV industry. So it was very interesting to talking to him. Um, and it was just very weird because, yeah, as I said, I had no contact to anybody except for this Alex who... Uh, so you only saw also, him for an hour a day. Yeah. And for five days you were isolated in a hotel room, yeah. you could order all the room service you wanted yeah. and you got Alex one hour a day. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time. It sounds just like prison. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, I, I had an iPad they gave yeah. me so I could watch uh, Netflix or whatever. But you couldn't email. I couldn't email, but, well, well, they disabled some functions on the iPad so I couldn't make contact to the outer world. But, that's scary. That's, yeah, that's but, scary. but to be honest, and they, they told me that if, if I found a way uh, to do so, I would instantly get kicked out because it's against the rules. But they had some um, some like holes in their system. So, for example, when I logged into the Wi-Fi, after I logged in, the Wi-Fi automatically opened the Safari browser where you can then go to websites and whatever. And so there was a way for me to communicate, even though it wasn't allowed. And if they uh, knew it or if they saw it or whatever, then I would get in really big trouble. Well, let me ask you a question, Dominic. Yes. Because I was also in prison. Um, <laughs> and I also found my way around certain security yeah. measures. Did you communicate with the outside world when you were not supposed to? No, I didn't. Because it was only five days. So I, I think if it was longer, then I would have broken the rules. But um, it was only five days, so I decided, you know, who am I going to write? Am I going to write to my parents three days after I left? Hey, I'm okay to risk yes, getting, getting kicked off and the everything. Show. I was like, they know I'm okay. So that was another difference between your life as a candidate on this reality <laughs> TV program in my life. You were not trying to get kicked out, and I spent 33 years trying to get kicked out. Yes. So there's, there's another difference there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we were not allowed to phone internationally, but there was a workaround. And uh, the more foreign prisoners came into the prison system, at the very beginning of my sentence when I arrived, uh, uh, um, there were hardly any foreign prisoners, prisoners. I was really most of the time just the only one I knew of. But in the course of the following decades that I spent in prison, more and more foreigners came in. And all of us, of course, wanted to call our families and friends in our home countries. And the phone system didn't allow that. But there was a workaround. And so we broke the rules and, and we called did, her. How did you do it? I'm not going to reveal that here uh, because then they might stop it over uh, there. So it's still a thing. It's still a thing. Wow. Yes. And I'm not, I'm, I'm staying stum. I'm not saying a thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm still in, in contact with some of my fellow prisoners. You're still using this whole. No, I'm, there is an email system okay. that is, uh, it's, it's kind of like email. It's not really email, but it's kind of like email because it's not connected, connected to the internet. Yes. Not really. Um, it costs 25 cents an email or something. It's crazy. It's a way of, you know, uh, you know, 
financially exploiting prisoners' families because really prisoners who do not have family contact can't afford this. But if you have family contact, then this company can suck the money out of the families, the prisoners' families by charging so much for emails. So that is how I communicate with um, the um, uh, some of my fellow inmates, uh, some of my fellow prisoners, guys, I support. I send them, um, each of those two of them, I send each of them uh, 25 bucks a mm-hmm. month because that's that's a month's wage. And, um, you know, but anyway, we found workarounds. Um, and um, uh, you, fa- you found a workaround, but you did not use <laughs> yours. But of course, you were not yes. trying to get kicked out of the reality exactly. TV program. So after five days of being in this, were the other participants in this program in, in other hotel rooms yes. next to you? Yes. But I didn't and did know you knock on the wall and no. talk to, you know, when I was in, in, I was, I spent six weeks in the hole in, in segregation yeah. during my time in prison. And, uh, you know, we found ways of communicating from cell to cell through little gaps and stuff like that. So did you, did you talk through the toilet or through the <laughs> vent and stuff like that? No, I didn't do it. I heard from other participants that uh, they shared like the same um, balcony. Yes. Or there was like one wall between it, but but you could easily communicate. Yes. So um, I had no balcony because I had n- another apartment or whatever. But um, I think so you were like a second class prisoner. They put they put you in the hole. Well, I had I had two stories. Others just had one, and others just had a tiny room with a balcony. Um, so they had just um, oh your 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 hotel room your actual suite yes. had two stories yeah exactly oh damn there was like a, a, a staircase inside of my apartment I had like I had two uh, bedrooms God it was like a lot of luxury space. Yeah. yeah a lot of luxury okay still it's so strange to think about that yeah do you I, know if that do other programs do that too that I, sort of thing I don't know because um, it was the only one where I had a hotel room. Yeah. So when I was in the other show, in the um, Deutschland sucht den Superstar, in the second one, which is bigger, um, they b- before we went um, to Italy, because uh, at some point of, of this show, they um, take the participants to Italy or whatever country, and di- different countries and different um, uh, seasons. But um, yeah, they put us into... I'm not sure if it really was a hotel. It was more like, um, in, in Germany, we call it Jugendherberge. Oh, God, uh, yes. Youth so, hostel, a youth yeah, hostel. Like, right. Um, Do you have bunk beds? No, we, we, no it, maybe it was a hotel, but, but it, hadn't, it, it didn't have like a, a, a hotel charm. And so it was it, very basic. Yeah, kind it of was rough. very yeah, basic. Yeah. You had uh, small, tiny rooms, um, but we were, I think, 30 participants or 25. So they, they couldn't um, buy a big suite for everyone. Um, so they probably just um, yeah had to, to um, That's put us odd. in these small rooms. But we, we were not in quarantine this time. Yes. We, we were able to speak to another. We were able to make friends, which we obviously did because it was a week, I think. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like the first time when I was just for myself. Mm. It's 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 so odd to 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 listen to you describe that that first stay with that first reality TV program where you were basically kept in a kind of luxury prison because you know I had just we didn't know each other at that point yet we just we got to know each other less than a year ago yeah 
um, because of mutual friends of ours own a bar here in this city. And you were performing there and I performed there as well because um, yeah. I do events here in Germany where I tell about my experiences in prison in America. Um, uh, you know, I spent three years under direct threat of the death penalty. I was nearly raped. Um, I worked as a loan shark in prison for a while. Um, I went to a supermax for 11 months and got shot um, with a rubber pellet, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. um, all those ex things that I experienced in prison, I, I do at these events. And I did one of these events at this bar and um, got to know the owners who are really, really cool people. Yes. And then shortly after, you had already done an event there, but then you did another one and I came and for the first time met you and we kind of hit it off um, because you actually did a pretty darn cool cover of Hotel California, <laughs> which I really appreciated, um, which is, by the way, everybody, it's a song about prison. Oh, okay? really? Hotel California. You can oh, I didn't know that. I I'm making it up. But we oh. always listen to it in prison, okay? We listen to Hotel California, right? And there's a line in there where they say, you can check out any time you like, but, but you, you can, can never, never leave. leave. And every time it gets to that line in the song, you know, when you're in prison, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's me, yeah. Huh? So, <laughs> um, well, but anyway, you did a cool cover of that. And that's how we got to know each other. But it's so strange that, you know, prior to that, you know, I got released like two and a half months before the COVID pandemic hit. What a great point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was really, you know, I had like two months of freedom and then we went back into lockdown. <laughs> um, but at least I was not actually locked in a hotel room. Uh, that's kind of crazy. Um, and it, they, they're, you know, this, how did you deal with the, um, the lack of freedom? How did that feel for you during those five days? Was that difficult? Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, I knew that it was only going to be five days and there was a lot of stress going on anyways because I knew, okay, I'm going to get into this um, this house where yeah. nine or eight other um, musicians are living right now and they are already um, on, on the show right now. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in as somebody who's going to... Um, um, kick somebody out, right? Because the way that program worked, uh, somebody got voted off exactly the, out of the somebody got voted out of the house, and then you came in as the new band member, exactly. and there was like battles of the bands that were constantly going on. But every time somebody would get replaced, yeah. so the bands were changing. So it was like one girl band and one boy band. Each band um, had five members, and um, at the end of every episode, um, they sang against the other team. And the um, and the people in front of their TVs at home, they could vote who sang better, and the team who um, lost the battle, um, they had to kick somebody out. Okay. So it, it's more it's it's like okay, the band that's not yet good enough, they have the chance to always improve improve by, by getting somebody yeah. new. Yeah. And you were the replacement. Exactly. So that's a little bit like it was in prison as well for me between the Crips and the Bloods. Um, you know, <laughs> not, a, not, not even a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> not even a little bit, just making it up. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's funny the way you describe that, because of course, you know, in, in, in prison where I was at, there were, um, at the very beginning of my sentence in Virginia, not that many gangs, 
But then in the course of the 33 years that I spent there, more and more gangs came in and took over. And um, of course, the Crips and the Bloods and the Gangster Disciples and God knows what else, MS-13 and uh, Asatru and yeah, so this really spread during my time. And, and uh, um, it, it's interesting to me that um, this kind of group dynamic um, that develops in prison populations like the one that I was in um, is also used in a lot of reality TV shows. Mm -hmm. Not just that one, yes. but other reality TV shows also are based on picking pretty much um, random groups and, um, uh, you know, starting conflicts. And, and, and you know, I, I, I never watched these programs when I was um, in prison. Um, I, I was, yeah, I, I was not a big TV fan. Um, but, um, you know, from what I gather, that's a, that's a big dynamic, especially in reality TV shows, starting conflicts and uh um we actually um i think you said it before while I'm, i'm i'm studying psychology and we had like um one um um like one lesson yes. or one course um which was about social psychology and at one point um the um the professor told us Or he explained how to separate groups and how to um, like um, unite unite them again. So there was, for example, um, one experiment where they had like um, um, small children um, from the age I don't know six to maybe fifteen or whatever, and they took them to a camp in the holidays and they split them up in two groups, like group red and group blue, and um, They tried to split these groups by um, implementing um, challenges with um, benefits for the winners and um, bad things for the losers. And um, at some point, they split them that much that they really fighted, st started fighting against each other in the groups, even though they were completely, completely, completely random. And the experimenters, they didn't know how to unite them again because um, at that point they, they couldn't just tell them or even if they told them, okay, guys, it's an experiment. Uh, we tried to separate you and it obviously worked. So please now be friendly again. They, they didn't do it. They uh, still were against each other. And so um, what they did, the experimenters to um, unite the young people again, they um, took them out for, um, for some kind of, Right, they told them we're going to go to the beach or whatever, and then they um, made the bus um, break down so that, that that it didn't work anymore because they I don't know if they like, took away like a tire or whatever, but uh, then they told the kids, okay, now we really we, we, we can't move because we are here in the middle of nowhere, and um, then they had to start um, working together again to. Um, get them out of the situation and they, there were no teams anymore and everybody was really thinking, okay, now we are going to die here if we can't get this bus running. So they started working again together and then they uh, started to unite again. And after that accident, um, they had like one big team again and not two separate. That's really interesting. Um, I have not heard of that experiment, um, but it doesn't surprise me. 
Um, because, you know, you're a psychology student now. Back, uh, what's this now, 38 years ago when I destroyed my life, um, I was a psychology student at the University of Virginia. And then I destroyed my life, went to prison, and spent decades reading about psychology because I find the subject fascinating. And that's, it was kind of a way of connecting with a past that I had lost. And um, one of the things I read about, you've almost certainly heard about this, is it's called the Stanford Prison Experiment. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Um, where something very similar was done with college students, not with kids. Uh, there was a group of college students and they were split into two teams. One of them was the guards, and one of them was the yeah. inmates. And very quickly, the college students who were assigned the role of being guards started abusing <laughs> and maltreating mm-hmm the college students who had been assigned the roles of inmates, and they started accepting it and acting like inmates. And um, you know, this, is, this is a really interesting thing that one observes uh, in so many contexts uh, about you know, how roles that are assigned by society then impact the individual and shape his behavior in, uh, and, and how much of our will is free. You know, that's the question yeah. behind it. Yeah, exactly. And how much is it determined by, by you know, how, yeah, yeah, that question. And then the second thing that you mentioned, how they you reunited the group, that's interesting to me as well, because this is something I spent a great deal of time studying in prison. I really worked hard on this. And if I had not been in prison, if I had been in, you know, if, at college, I would have certainly qualified for getting a degree in this. Um, there's a French, um, he started off as a literary critic and then became an anthropologist uh, called R- René Girard. He actually also, I believe, was it was also Stanford where he ended up. Um, he came up with this concept of the scapegoating mechanism and uh, it's based on work by Sigmund Freud in Totem and Taboo, which I don't know whether they still read as psychology students. Do, well, do you still read Freud? Uh, we, we, we never had to read it, but we learned about it. So we didn't uh, read a book because it's not, um, it's not what, uh, what, what's very good um, when you try to um, um, find statistic evidence. Yes, that's so certainly true. That's, yeah. it's, it's more like, um, yeah, but, but Sigmund Freud himself, I think, said that don't try to uh, copy this technique because... It's so complicated, only yes. I can do it. Yes, yeah, that, that, yeah. And, and I think he's probably right about that. But the point is, it's, in Totem and Taboo, he came up with some ideas that René Girard developed much, much further. And the idea is that societies develop and form um, around finding an outsider and casting him out, a scapegoat. Yeah. And um, that's what unifies a group. If everybody in the group points with a finger at the one person who says, that's the bad guy. And of course, you know, the criminal justice system is a kind of institutionalized way of making that work, you know, that everybody can agree, those are the bad people. And uh, with, me, with me specifically, you know, being wrongfully convicted, and not again, wasn't recognized, but I am wrongfully convicted, I did not commit this crime, you know, having everybody agree that I'm the bad guy in the story mm. is very useful socially. Yes. Um, because if everybody can agree on that, then we don't need to fight amongst each other quite so much. 
And in the story that you just told about this experiment, they found it wasn't a person, but the bus with a broken tire or you know, where they had to, whatever they had mm. to do to fix the bus then became the problem that everybody had to unite around. And I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think the story just tells us that you really need something. As, as soon as you start working together again, or if, when, when you are forced to work together because otherwise nobody's going to win, then you will very find quickly unity. start but to see similarities in each other. And but, but, they, but, but again, it, it's based on somewhere, at some point, you, you need an enemy. Yeah. That's the problem. And in this particular scenario, the bus was the enemy. Yeah. The damn bus with a broken axle or whatever the heck it had. But you know, in, mostly in human society, um, we're very quick at um, finding the problem outside of ourselves and finding somebody to be mad at. And um, again, I, I, I spent so much time working on René Girard, um, who is, you know, th that would be outside of your field. He's not a psychologist, but it's, it's a related field. Um, um, if you ever get into that, I'd, I'd, you know, I, I highly recommend it. René Girard is almost, you know, it's very difficult to understand because he writes very densely and he's frankly not a very good writer. But his ideas, his ideas are really interesting. And uh, I can recommend some spectacular books about his theories, but not by him. Um, but that, you know, being open to that sort of thing um, uh, is, is, is something that, you know, we initially started off this podcast about, uh, this first episode, um, you know, do we open ourselves up to new ideas is also something. You know, I was forced into a new start twice in a big way mm -hmm. when I went to prison and when I came out of prison. And we haven't talked about much about my life since I left prison yes. because that hasn't all been smooth either. You know, there's a lot of good things that have happened and there have also some, been some bad things that have happened. And in a way, this René Girard effect where people get off on pointing at me and saying, ooh, look over there, there's the bad guy. Yeah. Um, that effect. But um, um, you, of course, came from a background of being, if I can say it like that, I hope I don't insult you, you know, pretty typical college student who then took that big leap into the world of the entertainment industry and establishing yourself there and doing pretty darn well, um, which not everybody would have done. I think a lot of people would have been scared. And so you took that risk and you m turned it into something. And now you're doing, making, doing this podcast with me, which is another risk because I am a controversial person. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, not everybody likes me and I have to live with that and I can live with that. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's a bold move by you taking this step and in this English language podcast, also taking it in a language that is not your native <laughs> language. I'm surprised by how good your English is. Thanks. And I think our listeners will be too. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking um, in our next episode, I think as our subject, we're thinking about talking about love. Mm, yes. Because... Uh, Broadly speaking, um, love plays a very important role in every life. I in think. every life, and uh, love is why I went to prison. Yeah. And um, um, of 
course, love is also a big theme in in many of this uh, music and much of the music that you perform. Yeah. Um, and uh, that might be another subject, of course. Yeah, uh, I'm for very another interested. future podcast uh, um, of ours. We could talk about music. Uh, what yeah. is music meant for you? Who has inspired you? And with me, uh, strangely enough, um, music has played a role in this case of mine. Mm. And uh, um, so, uh, we, 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 you know, we've got plenty of material to work with um, across the decades. Um, and uh, I thank you for this opportunity. Yes, I thank you. <laughs> because it's, for me, it's every time it's very interesting because we have very different um, stories. And every time you start uh, talking about these things that happened in prison, uh, it's very, very interesting stories for somebody who's never even been close to prison. Except back when you were in Cologne, locked Except in that hotel. For the five days in the quarantine hotel. Yeah. And, and that is something that is... I think very new to listeners of this podcast as well. What is what is reality TV really like behind the scenes? And apparently, it's got some parallels with prison. Yeah, I did not know Probably. that. <laughs> I did not know that, and I learned something new today. And I thank you for that. Yes, and I thank you for your time. And, and uh, we'll see each other, and our listeners will hear us again in the next uh, week. In another week. Yeah, exactly. Because this podcast is supposed to um, be online uh, once a week. And um, we are looking forward for you to uh, be here again next time. And please leave comments uh, yeah. what you'd like to hear us talk about if you have certain subjects that you find interesting um, or if you have, you know, hopefully helpful criticism. But if you want to cuss us out, cuss us out. Go ahead. <laughs> um, if you want to throw some support our way, some love, we'd like that too. Um, yeah, so we'll see each other and hear from each other in about a week. Exactly. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you. Bye.